Welcome to Product Growth Leaders Topic of the Week, a podcast that explores product management and leadership topics through interactive conversations with our product leader panelists. Conversations that will challenge you to think about your thoughts on the topic and perhaps get you to change your mind. I am Grant Hunter, co-founder of Product Growth Leaders and the host and facilitator for these conversations. Listen, subscribe, and add your voice to the conversation every week in the Product Growth Leaders community. Hello, everybody. Grant Hunter here from Product Growth Leaders with another topic of the week. This week, we're talking about product management and risk and how did product management help manage risk. With me on our panel, my partner, Steve Johnson, and frequent panelist, Anita Wood. Thank you guys for both being here today. Uh, With that started, let's get straight to our question from Monday. Uh, We asked the question, how should risk be factored into product strategy decisions? Uh, And, uh, you know, frequent commenter, still trying to get him on the call, Graham Rowe, had a really good long answer. He talked about the rigor applied to risk analysis depends on your industries. In some places, the risk you're dealing with may be different depending on what the consequence is of risk. So he said, small decisions carry big impact with scale, profitability, reputation, et cetera. How quickly can you iterate and relaunch if there's impact on the customer? Uh, and if it's something as simple, you know, as you know, total, where t- total project failure could cause it, you need to manage risk that way. And it's interesting because in my lens, when I talk risk, I'm thinking risk management in a in our process and internally. Is the product going to fail? You know, I hadn't thought about how that scales up to you know things we used to teach it, talk about in training, right? What's the plausibility of something going wrong? But uh, you know, I, I think it was interesting to see his lens on that. Maybe it's you know him being more in the product and, and working on products now, where it's been a while since I've been there. Steve, I'd love to get your take on, you know, risk as in managing the risk in the process versus risk as in managing risks that the product could have. Yeah, I, I took this a whole different direction um, that risk to me is associated to the unknown. And, you know, I, I, I've seen teams over the years uh, um, totally ignore risk and say, you know, we're going to do something we've never done before. And so let's put it on a really tight schedule, you know, and, and they skip all of the learning thing, you know? Uh, And so, you know, when I look about risk, when I look at, you know, should, should an on-premise company build a cloud product? Well, of course they should, Uh, but wait, (laughs) who knows how to do that? I mean, this is new technology to that organization. And when, you know, when apps started happening, everybody's like, okay, so we'll write an app, no problem. And then we'll just put it in the app store. And then they found out there's like a four month delay before you submit your app before Apple would approve it in the early days. And nobody took that into consideration because they were uh, they were they were they were in a different mindset of you know we have control over the uh, the whole environment. So um, as I think of risk, it's like if if you're doing new technology, or if you're doing new markets, you know so much is unknown, and you need to fact factor that into uh, your your planning. Uh, one one last. Uh, 
point, I, I see companies continuing to do time-based roadmaps. And they say, so we're going to innovate on Thursday and then ship something on Wednesday afternoon at three. And you're just like, dude, you know, everything is unknown here. You have no idea how long it will take you to actually do the work. So that's how I interpreted the risk decision is how much the, the more unknowns there are, the more risk you have and the more padding you have to put into your planning and your, and your uh, creating. No, and I think that's where my lens was originally, but you know, as we've learned before in these questions, sometimes the context is not as obvious as it should be. Do so, you think that there's a place, you know, where is the place to manage the, the, the product risk in the market, like of failure, the cost, you know, what happens there, warranty repair, you know, tragedy, uh, how should I, that be thought about? Well, you know, all right, I'll take this entirely different way than you asked it. Um, <laughs> the other thing I've found is that quality doesn't matter until it does. Yeah. So people go forward and they're like, uh, let's build this device for, uh, for human use. And then somebody dies and they go, oh, we hadn't really planned on that, <laughs> you know? Well, I, um, when I was at GE, as an executive, they put us through risk management training. And, and with that lens on, I think Graham's answer makes total sense to me because basically they said, I mean, my takeaway from an hour video we watched in the training was don't do anything that puts GE's name in a bad light on the headline of the Wall Street Journal. Sure. Right. Whether that's a product failure like in engine or whether that's a, you know, bribing officials and that type of stuff. Absolutely. I, before we pivot, I want to go to the next answer. I'd love to get you, Anita, a thought on the product risk what we we're talking about that with like GE and managing that type of stuff. How should what's your view on that risk and where products should be thinking about that? Yes, to Steve and <laughs> <laughs> um, I think uh, I like Graham's uh, answer. You know, it depends on the industry. Sometimes it, it, it varies by industry, right? I recently did uh, some informal market discovery related to professional development training within organizations and, and how the pa pandemic impacted budgeting around training and skills gaps and so forth. And one thing I learned is that, you know, one of my questions was, where, was there anything new that you discovered for, as far as skills? And I learned that um, risk management was one of the big ones, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, especially in industries where there isn't a lot new or, you know, higher education was one of my um, interviewees and where there are more known risks, right? Uh, they tend to get a little bit lazy about risk management and something crazy like the pandemic happens and they realize they don't have those skills, right? Yeah. So I, I think that, um, yes, like Graham said, it depends on the industry, how much risk management is going on at the product level. And I, I think, you know, secondly, I think we can learn a lot from, as you know, uh, Grant and Steve, I have a strong project management background as well. And one practice that I really appreciated it early on in my career, uh, I worked with an organization that really was structured about risk management at the product level as well, right? Let's get some cross-functional people in the room 
Yes, product owns it, but let's get some cross-functional people in the room and have a conversation. Let's document all the risks. You know, what's the worst that can happen? What's likely to happen? The probability, you know, you have that matrix. Yep. And then you assign, and we used to rotate the risk officer, right? Somebody was assigned to be the risk officer and monitor that on a weekly basis, right? Especially when things are fast and changing and innovative and you really don't know, are we right? In two weeks, will we be right about this risk register? So I think, um, you know, my answer from a product level is that it should be an, um, you know, a very deliberate part of your mm -hmm. strategy and it should be an ongoing recurring thing that you talk about and monitor the risk, you know, not just once and done and the rotating the, the role, not the responsibility, the accountability, but well, the responsibility, not the accountability. Product managers are accountable for that, but who is responsible for being that risk officer, right? Mm -hmm. You rotated that by products or projects or whatever it was, just to make sure that everybody had a good feel for what that meant and got really accustomed to watching for it at, at the product level, you know, and that, that trickles down into then the projects within that product. Um, you learn from each other, you're, you're leading by example. And um, yeah, so that's my three-part answer. <laughs> I, I, I like that a lot. Uh, it, it actually, I remember back in the day and Dharma is gonna be joining us now. Dharma, welcome to the conversation. Uh, Great to have you back with us. It's been a while. <laughs> I remember when my daughter was in elementary school, when I was doing pragmatic marketing, there we always talked about the plausibility and probability when we were talking about risk. And in her science class, she watched this thing on tornadoes in the Midwest. And she got terrified of tornadoes. <laughs> and I tried to explain to her the plausibility versus probability. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Right. You know, even if it happened here, you know, a tornado in Yardley, Pennsylvania takes maybe some shingles off a roof. It doesn't destroy a whole town. But, you know, when you're talking about risk management for a product, it, it's part of it's like understanding what's what's going to happen. What's the worst mm -hmm. that can happen? I'd like to sort of move to uh, Jason was our second person in and he actually sent his regrets. He's on a sales call waxing poetic, he said. Uh, he's trying to help them sell some stuff. He said he, it sounds a little cheesy, but for risk management, the traditional SWOT analysis looking at larger strategic product initiatives uh, is a good way to identify internal and external risk drivers and the measure of the level of impact of the risk of the likelihood. Uh, you know, I, here, I like how he actually took both lenses, the internal and the external uh, there, if your product strategy is to grow in another vertical, you can create a SWOT for that scenario. So Steve, you talked about that a little. Uh, key is to be clear where the risks are, have a measurement of them and review them at different intervals during your strategic planning, but also in the execution of the strategy. It will allow you to adjust accordingly uh, if the risks are starting to be realized. And now I have to give him some props because when it started off with being cheesy and SWOT, I'm like, yes, that is cheesy. <laughs> But I thought he had a pretty good answer through that. Steve, I'd love to, you know, we've talked a lot about SWAT and risk. You've just written a great article that's going to be published soon. I'd love to get your take on, on Jason's thought. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I've always struggled with opportunities and threats. Uh, and I always thought of it in terms of, you know, what are, what are, what are the, what, what's likely for the competition to do to us? 
and I've never really taken risk, the kind of risk we've been talking about today into account in SWOT analysis. And I think that's brilliant. Yeah. Um, and I, I also do a yes and with, with Anita. You know, I, I, I think that a lot of product managers try to do this kind of work by themselves and bringing together a cross-functional team, if only for a short time, to say, you know, let's brainstorm this. What is the worst that could happen? Uh, let's, let's, you know, denote it in some way. And, and I think SWOT is a, a good tool to help us pull that out. Awesome. Dharma, I'd love to get your take as a product leader, you know, SWAT, what other tool, you know, what, what, what's your take on this question, risk being factored into the product strategy decision? Um, well, I, I, I think about it, it two ways. One is <clears throat> um, situational planning, like, you know, bring, like scenario planning, like say, hey, we're on a particular path. How could this path change on us? What do we need to do to prepare for it? Right. Yeah. So it's some you know blue ocean thinking there. Uh, unconstrained. I call it the unconstrained thinking. Right. Let's just it, play out some scenarios. And, and and a whole bunch of people are wishing they had done that a year and three months ago. <laughs> no, I mean here's a classic situation. When I was uh, uh, you know a year ago, year and three months ago, <laughs> at a hospitality company needing product. Oh gosh. <laughs> uh, we we were getting in on our 2021 2020 plans, and incidentally, I was forcing that discussion right with the team, mm -hmm. and we were going down a path. And I said, look, imagine if something you know there's not knowing that this whole coronavirus is going to take over there was a parallel set of things that are happening in the market. But I said, look, that has a tendency to push us towards a different kind of request from our customers, right? Mm -hmm. um, and lo and behold, coronavirus happened. And luckily, the small aspects of product strategy that I was able to convince the team to embrace actually helped them are helping them right now as they're kind of repositioning themselves in the post-pandemic world. Um, and, and, and three years ago, you know, now well, three, three or two, three and a half years ago, now I was at Reltio, uh, we were kind of hell-bent on this is what we do, this is who we are. And at the time, uh, there, there's a concept called customer data platforms and marketing tech that was coming up. So one day I brought a demo of that to the team in our product strategy meeting. And I said, I'm not gonna say anything. Let's just watch this demo. It was an online video demo. And I said, let's talk about what this means for us. I, it's not, I'm not imposing any of my opinion. Give me 20 minutes of your time. I'll show you a demo for five minutes. Let's talk about what this means for us in the next 15. Right. I, you know, in, I had a great conversation about six months ago with a private equity guy about scenario planning and the importance of scenario planning. And until you brought scenario planning up, I hadn't even, in risk management, it wasn't even one of the things I was thinking about. I'm so focused on my risk management as part of the process that it hadn't come through. You had said there was a second asp a second thing outside yeah. of the scenario planning. The, the second thing is when you have approved initiatives or funded initiatives that you're, that you're embarking on, uh, I tend to ask the question of what could go wrong? Tell me why you don't think this is gonna be successful or tell me what, if you were put in charge of this, what would you worry about? Okay. 
right? It, it's interesting because a lot of people do the, you know, what could go wrong or what, I, I've been reading a lot of Roger Martin and Roger Martin actually said, you know, one of the things that you should look at when you do that type of assessing is what would have to be true. Yeah, it's almost taking it to a different aspect. Yeah, that's a good way, yeah. For this to work. Yeah. Anita, I'd love to get your take, scenario planning or SWOT or, you know, now we've moved from that product risk to more, you know, at least the lens that I was on sort of internal and managing the process and that type of stuff. Yeah, I, I teach strategy courses in higher education. And of course, the SWOT is always part of that. <laughs> Every textbook has it, right? Yep. And I, I do like that Jason brought that to internal versus external, uh, you know, looking at that and, and something that a lot of um, junior product managers and uh, students forget about is things you can't control, right? Uh, if you're looking at like the external factors like political unrest, um, weather, um, you know, the pandemic, anything, they forget about things that they can't control. So I think I'd love me some pestle analysis. Yeah, yeah, those tools are really valuable for that. And, you know, scenario analysis, we all know that, you know, the classic case studies about the petroleum industry that does very, very extensive scenario analysis and has um, multiple strategies, right? Mm -hmm. they, they do actually pursue the strategy for the worst case scenario, right? And then and they have multiple things going on. So I, I think I think those tools are really great. Um, yeah, and I, I think that, um, oh, I forgot where I was going with that. Yeah, it, they're, they're good tools. They, they might seem cheesy sometimes, but if, if it gets people to think about things outside of their walls, um, you know, worst case scenarios. And one thing that I have found, I've been trying to work with a local nonprofit. They're a great organization. Get this crazy cool name, Beer by Bike Brigade. So it started out as this just group of bike enthusiasts, bicycle enthusiasts who did basically a bar hopping, right? They drive around lacrosse and and they were all very into um, charitable interests. And it's turned into this fabulous nonprofit that helps schools and it's coolest things. Anyway, the leader, the founder <laughs> has a tendency to say, well, we're just, we're not gonna look backwards. We're gonna look forwards and think positive and we're not gonna listen to the negative Nancys. He, he actually says that. I don't like when we say like negative Nancy's or the Karen's because I have good friends named Nancy and Karen. And, you know, and they're not negative. They're not negative, no. But I, I think it's very, very important to listen to those negative stakeholders. And the people who can tell you what's the worst that's going to happen are those negative people. And mm -hmm. if you get them involved early on, you might have some haters, right? You, you yeah. really people opposing to your product, your your idea. Those are sometimes the most valuable people to help you with that risk management, planning, identification, right? Yeah, and actually, that's something Roger Martin will talk about when he's talking about uh, what would have to be true to have this happen. If you're in a group of people in a leadership team trying to figure something out, get the doubter to be mm -hmm. the person who has to do the work to prove if that's true or not. Mm -hmm. Because the only way you're going to get that out, get them to buy on is if they all, all of a sudden say, oh, gosh, this is true, right? They had mm -hmm. to be the one who set the bar for what has to be true. And they have to help in the process of, of, of judging it. Uh, it was just an interesting way to do it. A couple, yeah, a, idea. 
a yeah. couple comments. I think with SWAT, and Steve and I have talked a lot about this, hell, in the past 24 hours, it all comes down to how you do it, right? Because too often, oh, a strength and a threat, you just flip it, right? A weakness and an opportunity, just flip it, right? And there's too many people who don't do it well. Obviously, if they took your class, they would know how to do it well. Uh, and I'm sure they're going to get there with that. But, I, you know, I, those two were the two key thoughts I had with that. Mm -hmm. yeah, Go ahead. No, there was a recent article on uh, Harvard Business Review that said that, you know, people are doing SWAT wrong. They should be starting with the opportunities and threats yeah. first. And then I, I just read that. Did, yeah. that That's the article I just sent to you, right, Steve? That's toes. Yeah. Towels. Taos, Taos, yeah. yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Do it backwards. The Taos is a little bigger than just that, but yeah, no, it, it, it's, it's a good way to look at it. But you know, this, this whole discussion is fascinating. And yet I look at the product managers who are like one story ahead of development. You know, they're so down in the weeds. And uh, um, as you think about product strategy decisions, I mean, this kind of thing that we're talking about really needs to be done way back at the business case and then revisited throughout the execution. And yet it seems like everybody is so busy working in the business. They don't have time to work on the business. And so I, I just wonder how many people actually do spend time thinking about you know, what is the worst thing that could happen? You know, what if our product kills somebody? You know, what, I'm, I'm fascinated uh, here in 2021, how not one, but three different companies could invent a vaccine in, in such an incredible short period of time. And yet it seems like they've done a really good job of risk management because, you know, I'm not hearing of anybody having bad reactions. Yeah, but no. I mean, it, when you're when you're sticking stuff in people's bodies, yeah, I, I bet somebody is thinking through risk management. But uh, likewise, you know, I've worked with I was working with some companies last year, saying, you know, what what's what's the worst thing that could happen? You know, what if it's I re I remember saying, you know, what if SARS happens again and we can't go to the airport? You know, what if there's another, you know, terrorist event and we can't go to the airport. What does that do to your business model? And they're like, oh yeah, I don't think that's ever going to happen. Um, and, 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 and but, yeah, what would be the impact if it did, right? There's right. the whole plausibility, possibility and what happened to, you know, it, the nuclear reactor, right? <laughs> or something right. like that. And so if, if it's plausible, we ought to at least think through what a contingency plan looks like. Mm-hmm. No, I, I completely agree. And, and at, see, as I look at this one, I often look at it from the lens of uh, risk management in your process at the front of the process. And my answer sort of went to that. Risk should be factored into the decision-making process and decision gates should be used to manage risk. From discover, you identify many ideas of the things you can do, use an objective scoring method to prioritize those with the best chance of success and impact. I believe that we take a lot of risks on, pro on projects that shouldn't be done, right? We're wasting resources on them. We can fill it then. Uh, but focus on those with the best chance of success and impact. Uh, for the commit phase, validate the hypotheses uh, on the problems you're solving. Do the same with product concepts and designs. Use validation through the process to make sure that what you're doing, you're, you're, you're moving forward with things that should. Uh, I, so I've been very much looking at risk in the project and the product success not as much as risk of the product failing in the marketing and what happens, you know, the product failing and then causing disaster or something. Uh, 
And then, you know, there's a great quote I can't find this that the earlier in the process you're able to identify something that is wrong or off, the cheaper it is to address. And the later you are, the more expensive once they've started coding, once you've re released it, right? So for me, the lens I was taking on risk management was really sort of the business, business and strategic decision process of go, no goes, right? And using those decision gates to be part of the risk process, not on a what's the worst going to happen if our product's in the market, possibly because most of the products I've worked on, I've had what's the worst that could happen we rolled out a new platform and it crashed and all of our users couldn't use it, right? But when you're selling, that was selling B2B content, what's the worst that could happen, right? So maybe my, my lens is very much on the type of products I've, I've, I've sold, not the, you know, that type of stuff. You mentioned something that sparked the thought, uh, Grant. You mentioned uh, scoring, yep. right? We are normally good at at least coming up with KPIs on the things that we have invested money in. Yeah. Right? Normally, you know, uh, I wouldn't say always. Um, but I'm wondering if there is some kind of a, a a low fidelity scoring that we can embrace for even those items or those risks that we say are low low probability events, right? So that we can kind of keep a pulse on, hey, this is this signal is flashing. Let's my my dad was trained in Kepner Trigo back in the day, and I believe that anything can be scored somewhat yeah. objectively. Yeah, right. right? <laughs> he had me score my college decision. <laughs> right? What are the key factors that matter to you? What are the weights? How would you rate each college on it? Right. Uh, so I believe anything can be scored. And in this situation, I believe in scoring ideas. Even before you go to business case, which ideas should you actually take the effort there's plenty of ideas of what we could go to the market and learn more about. We do discovery, right, to come up with ideas, but we come up with multiple ideas. How do you decide which one to focus on? There's mm. an objective scoring you can do for that, right? Once you get to the next level, there's a scoring. I mean, I believe you can do scoring all along the way. You know, Steve, you know, talks about using this, the Aspire method to score opportunities and ideas. So I think that you can both score the idea and that at each stage is a different thing you're scoring you're some of it's you're scoring your internal risk some of it's you're scoring that external risk and in, in, in that type of stuff so i guess my answer is yes you can score that we'd have to sort of build into a use case or scenario to, to, to figure out how you do it yeah i mean there there is a risk reward trade-off even in a business case right so you're looking at if in the business case you're looking at what's the downside what's the worst that could happen GE, when I did some work with them in the engineering standards world, they they were taking this in a, intelligent standard because the, the biggest problem they had was people were applying the, the standards wrong. And mm -hmm. there was logic in the standards. And they found that when something goes wrong, it either, the good news is it maybe uh, delays their time to, to, to market because they have to wait on a, uh, they have to wait on a redesign or some or a new part. Worst case scenario, nobody catches it there and it gets all the way through and it becomes a fan blade that cracks and causes a seven triple seven to crash, right? And so for them, as they looked at this, there was a risk management thing through the process. Uh, and that was something that they had to figure out. They had to understand that risk at that before they would build it to make sure they went through the process. There is a, God, I have to remember, uh, the AIM Institute uh, has a tool 
uh, that helps in actually assessing project risk. It would be an interesting thing to look if they have something in there that does that. So Steve, any thoughts on this question or my comments before we move to the poll? No, except I'm now freaking out a little bit thinking that the Aspire score method needs another R in it. For risk? For risk. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I, it, a project it, for this year. Yes, we will figure out how to, or maybe its own set of multiple factors you look at mm -hmm. for risk. Yeah. So but I Steve, like the like, idea of having, you know, a, a metric that says, you know, if any of the, if the risk metric changes, like we do see that, you know, this epidemic has become a pandemic. Let's go back and look at all of our business decisions that were predicated on the need for travel or the need for, you know, uh, meeting people face to face. And do we need to rethink any or all of our business plan? I mean, I think a lot of people a year ago were, were concerned about bankruptcy and can we pivot? Uh, not can we weather the storm, but um, you know, are we out of business entirely? So yeah. it's like the, I like the idea of having a, a, sco a score metric that's that is a signaling one. Yeah, I, I, I'm looking forward to, to helping you do that because I've mm -hmm. got some ideas in my head. So I think good it's a conversation for this week. It is a very good conversation for this for this week. So let's shift to the the poll. And actually, I was very happy to see the results of this poll. I was afraid that people would not answer. The, the poll question was, who should be responsible for managing risk in a product strategy decisions? Uh, executive leadership, product management, finance, development, or other. Seven votes came in for product management, two for executive leadership, and one for other. Uh, the other was uh, Glenn Pride said, if the risks are well identified, then the entire organization should be involved in the spreading out of risk, if possible. Risk can show its ugly head in the most unusual ways. While I believe PM should be part of the solution, there are other parties who can help mitigate the risk. So uh, this almost goes to Anita, back to your whole team, risk team mm -hmm. of people looking at it. Uh, Greg uh, Fenton, ultimately the product manager is responsible for the product strategy that aligned with the executive mission goals and the market position. The buck stops at the product manager's desk, but others parts will be part of the identification, mitigation, contingencies, and solutions, but the product manager needs to be the owner for it. So clear, clearly product management was, was voted the leader here. Steve, is this what you were expecting or hoping for? Yes, very. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. I muted and then I'm unmuted and then remuted. Um, anyway, yeah, very much. I, I think that that we, you know, our circle here at least sees product management as the business leader of the product. Now, I would imagine if we were having this meeting, uh, if we were having this discussion at a sales meeting, they'd all say salespeople, right? Uh, but I. I at the end of the day, I think somebody said it earlier that, you know, at the end of the day, the, the one who is account, accountable for product success is the product manager. The interesting thing, I worked at a company where I was a director of product and our finance department, the CFO and his divisional CFOs took it within their remit to change the internal cost of capital on projects they did not like. Yeah. 
So they played, because we had a pro forma, we had to build a three-year pro forma and look at the returns. And if you put a 10% or 12% cost of capital on it versus a 20 or 25% cost of capital on it, it's a whole different ball game. Mm-hmm. And they were trying to play risk manager in product strategy decisions wow. by changing the <laughs> internal cost of capital. Oh, we view that as too risky. It's part of it was the right things, new market, new technology, whatever it may be. I'm like, let us factor those things into the planning and have those conversations. Don't, don't force a internal cost of capital on me that is ridiculous. Yeah, that, that changes the definition of cost of capital. I worked it, for an organization that had like 25% hurdle rate. Yeah. It was just some arbitrary, what? <laughs> Why? <laughs> And, and I think it was for the same reason. It, it was, I mean, that, that, that will get no risk in the organization, which also <laughs> risk, get, you know, reward in the organization. Right. Uh, Anita, did you vote on this? Yeah, you know, I hesitated. It took me a while to answer that one because it's, I had to reread the question. So who should? Yeah. Right? Just like Steve said, it depends on who you ask. Um, and then compare that to reality. Um, you know, I had to think, did I really ever truly own the risk? I managed it, but was I allowed to own it in any organization I worked with? And most of the time, no, it was the executive leadership Mm -hmm. that wanted, you know, to look at the risk and make those higher level decisions or finance was heavily involved. So I hesitated on this question, but Mm -hmm. I did choose product management. And, and actually, I would say that my debate was between product management and executive leadership because I can also spin the, well, the best organization for product management is where executive leadership takes responsibility for product management being, you know, a center of excellence. And if executive leadership sets the right vision and support and has a risk management mindset, yeah. they're almost sort of giving, and they give you the method for how do you manage it. I could I could have spun it that way, but I didn't. Yeah, Our, yeah. And I, I, I'm okay with how that worked because we were working together and it worked. Yeah. At least we were looking at the risks and um, if there was enough communication. And like you said, if there, if at the executive, executive leadership level, there was that clarity and it, I, I, I never, I never felt left out if I wasn't the one, you know, it worked, it worked. Yeah. We, we knew the risks, we were watching them. We assigned a risk officer. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. No. Who's accountable as long as we're doing as somebody, <laughs> is, anyway, somebody. Somebody needs to be. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, as, as I was hearing that, I was thinking one of the roles of product management, in my view, is explaining the risk to leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, I've said in the past, it seems to me that most employees of software companies have no idea how software is made. And uh, I've encountered a number of executive teams who think that that's just a black box, that they they don't understand or they don't care to understand how things work. And, and, And so in a product management role, I would find myself saying, okay, this is a new initiative, or this is a new category, or this is a new market. Let me explain to you why we need to factor in more, more uh, experimentation time, more time for validation, more time. Everything is just going to take longer than you think it is because we've never done this before. And, and, that, and, that and so many of my, my courseware, it's like, 
this is not factory work. It's, it's not, no matter what you're doing, right? I mean, if you're developing software, building hardware, or creating courseware as Grant and I do, I mean, if you've never done it before, you need to build in some extra time. Yeah, there's no question about that. And those, but those extra experiments and validation points are those risk management points in the process. Exactly. Dar Dharma, did you vote on this? Uh, no, I don't think I, I don't think I did. Okay, what would your answer have been? Can I, can I say it depends? <laughs> oh, uh, I was going to say we Wait, haven't had a John Harmer answer. You were a consultant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, here, here's why I say that. Uh, I, I'm going to say that it, it depends on who is accountable for the initiative. Yeah. Right? Uh, if it's about a particular product initiative, sure, it may very well likely be a product manager who's driving that. On the other hand, you also need to think about the company stewardship, right? Um, not every product manager, although they think they're the CEO of the product, is the CEO of the company. So there is zones of focus and horizons of focus, rather. And, and there you would look at the CEOs, the ultimate product manager of the company, yeah. to own that risk. I, I, I actually love that answer. Uh, I'm going to steal it uh, as my <laughs> new answer. It depends. We, we should start putting it depends on instead of other. Yeah. In the, in the poll. I think John Harm would like that. No, it makes a lot of sense because as you said, there could be a strategic initiative where there is a, an executive who is the sponsor and responsible for it. And in that situation, it would make sense for it to be that person. Uh, and there's still like Glenn had said in the original across, there's risk in each process and each function. Those people should manage the risk within that, but somebody needs to be the person who's taking full accountability. Right. So. I will say this was a better, longer conversation on the poll than I thought we were going to have. Thank you, guys. Next, we're going to go to our first uh, question here. What is the best approach for managing risk in product strategy decisions? We, we've talked about SWAT or TOES, right? Uh, what's the best approach for managing risk in a product strategy decision? I'm going to go, come right back to you, Dharma. Uh, you're, you know, you've been, you've been managing product strategy decisions more recently than I have, you know, what's your approach to managing risk? Um, I think it's a question of experimentation and hypothesis led uh, execution, right? Um, as with any risk, I typically come up with three to five mitigate, mitigatory, mitigatory steps. Like these are the things that we could do either to diffuse or avoid this from becoming an issue. Right, risk versus issue, that's number one, yep. right? Um, and then as you are progressing through, you establish some leading indicators that will tell you how likely is this risk gonna materialize and, and then how likely are your mitigatory steps gonna be diffusing that risk. That's how I've done it. I mean, there's no hard science behind it. It's, it's a lot of it comes to having the right focus on uh, leading indicators um, you know, that could be a lot of it is data driven and, and some of it is also intuition driven. Yeah. I, I cannot take out intuition from this, unfortunately. I, I love the, you know, like scenario planning, planning for risk and mitigation at the start instead of being reactive and firefighting when it happens. That's a great, I, I love that, uh, that approach. Steve. I think for me, it's it's em embracing the reality of it, even you know pondering it, 
you know, I think we get so caught up at, in, in, in our product management role, we get so caught up in, you know, what is it? What is the market? What are the, you know, the, the tangible things that I have to do in terms of my task list? And, you know, one of those is, you know, identify risks and you just like half asset, you know, you just, at least I do, you know, just put it, it's like things could go wrong. Okay, move on. Uh, so, so embracing the idea that risk management is 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 everybody's job, as Anita pointed out, but also it it's it's critical to making sound business decisions. Just recognizing that that is a part of the job is, um, I think, a new idea for a lot of organizations. I, I like that answer, Steve. Anita. I'll go back to my cross-functional approach um, and just say that, you know, you shouldn't do it alone, right? Yeah. Every area of the organization is going to have different ways of doing it and they might have good approaches that work and that you can learn from. Everybody's going to have a different lens. And I think that's to me at a high level, the best approach at the strategy decision level, yep. uh, get more people involved, right? Including those negative stakeholders. And I think, um, you know, adding on to something Steve said earlier too, is that, you know, embrace it, but also, you know, understand that this touches on a lot of fears around strategy, right? Mm -hmm. The risks are the fears. And I think if we take an approach that it's not something to be afraid of, uh, you know, the more you talk about it, the more you plan it, the more you can control it, right? And I, I don't know who to credit for this, approach, but I really like there is an approach for, you know, pitching your ideas or products to venture capitalists where you go in and you say, here's why you shouldn't invest in me. Right. So just being completely transparent. Basically, this is the worst that can happen. If you're not comfortable with that, then we really don't have anything more to talk about. Um, and, and I think, you know, that approach, the conversations with all the different uh, lenses and being really transparent about, you know, what's the worst that can happen and what's everything that can go wrong, right? I think, and like you said earlier, Grant, um, the earlier you do that in the process and in the decision-making, um, the better and the less embarrassing, the less detrimental as far as the results or, or if, it, if any, anything happens, right? Yeah, I completely agree. And actually, as I've, I've agreed with each of you on this this question, and to me, I had to keep looking at, I wrote the question, but I had to keep focusing on the strategy aspect of it because sometimes my answer drags into other stuff and we'll get to that in the next question. I, the more I look at it, the more I think the best approach to do it is the insert whatever acronym Steve comes up with method for scoring risk on a project. <laughs> Right. I think there needs to be a tool. I think there's not a, you know, I think there needs to be a better tool. We can talk scenario planning. We can talk worst case scenario. And I'm a big fan of worst case scenario. What's the worst that can happen. Right. But I, I think that there's a need for a simple approach to sort of help people. I was talking with people about the five forces analysis this week. I'm sure you teach that too in your, in your strategy class. And if you read competitive strategy and, and Porter on five forces, it's really a, a, a model for how do you find a, become a monopoly, right? It's about moats and stuff like that. I never used it that way. And I believe in that lens, it's terrible. I used it as a framework for how do I analyze a market, mm -hmm. right? How do we understand all five, right? 
having that type of tool to do that, I don't see one out there in, until Steve and I help figure that one out. So uh, this has been a very profitable, I mean, it hopefully will be a very profitable call. Yeah, for I'm taking notes. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm as we're talking about risk and product strategy, it occurred to me that this is the same kind of logic that you use in doing your will. I mean, nobody wants to think about, you know, what if you, what if you die, right? Yeah. Um, and I remember my lawyer saying, well, you know, Steve, everybody's biggest fear is dying. And I'm like, okay, not my, not me. My, my biggest fear is almost dying, but beyond that, right. Um, and, and, and so she went through, went through with me doing a little bit of, you know, uh, um, war gaming, you know, you know, what if you live and your wife dies? What if the opposite is true? And then, you know, then my wife is in the room, right? She's like, and Steve, are there any other children that Susan doesn't know about? And I'm like, <laughs> are you kidding me? You're going to ask me that in, at all and in front of my wife? And I'm like, no, I, I know where all my kids are, both of them. So, um, but it was, it was kind of fascinating of, and okay, and if the four of you are in the car wreck, then what? Do you want to give all your money to grants? You know, do you want to give it to your uh, uh, grandchildren? I'm like, we don't have any grandchildren. What about your, you know, nieces and nephews? And, and so just, it was just bizarre to go through this process of thinking about in this disaster scenario, what happens to all of your assets? And, you know, if, and what if that person isn't around? And what if that person isn't around? It was just really quite fascinating. And I think it's the same brainstorming that you want to go through here in, in managing risk and product strategy. And, and, and that actually made me think not about where my money is going to go toward the chance that I could die in a car crash tomorrow, but scenario planning, the bigger it is, it's not just doing the scenario planning, it's actually probably wargaming those scenarios, mm -hmm. right? Uh, war gaming can be, an, I mean, it's a very expensive and timely thing to do, but you know, if you're, if you're talking about a 50, hundred million dollar thing, it may be the right thing to do. So mm -hmm. it, it, I, I thank you, Steve, for making me think about war gaming again. Our next question outside of product strategy, we've gotten into this a little already outside of product strategy, where else should product management be managing risk? Where, what is the remit? How broad does it go? Where, what else should we be thinking about outside of product strategy when it comes to risk management? Do we think about risk management and development and design? Well, and I was going to ask, sales? what are you including in product strategy first? Uh, a product strategy is sort of the, what, pro what market are we going after with what product and what are we, what's our roadmap, right? Where are we going with our vision for this? And are, are you, you thinking our, our ability case. to execute as part of that strategy? This is so to me, I take this to commit. We get to a business plan. Oh, I see. The strategy gets you to the business plan. What are the risk factors outside of getting to the, the, the strategy to being approved? Uh, you know, being a victim of this very recently, I would say competing priorities. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Understanding what I, within the company, because if there's competing predators within the company, it could risk your project and your platform or your product. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I, I like that. Steve. I have, you know, it's funny. Uh, when, when we first developed the, the pragmatic marketing framework, we had a box on there called market research that everyone looking at it misunderstood. 
So we would sit down with leadership and, and say, you know, blah, 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 market research. And they say, oh, yes, that's the responsibility of our market research department. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I mean the, the opposite words. I mean, researching the market. They're like, oh, yeah, we have no idea who does that. But from the very beginning, I have been big on uh, uh, primary research, uh, not relying on sales or support or executives to be the only voice of the market. Um, but early, early days in my career, we talked more about discovery research. And now I find myself talking more about validation research so that, you know, we go through uh, defining our personas. Well, okay, that was grounded in some primary research, but you know, let me go validate that before I go any further. And so I would argue, and, and maybe ruining this whole question for you, but um, I would argue that every step of the way from idea to business plan, to personas, to feature set, to um, launch plan needs to have continuous market validation. So you just don't go too far off the crazy end of, uh, of your plan without checking back in with the market. And my, my, the, uh, uh, and the rant here is really, the, the point of, is, is I find too many product managers have no connection to the market. They're just secretaries. They write down things that they've heard and they put them in JIRA and then they hand them from JIRA to the developers and then the developers build them and they hand them to sales to sell with no market validation along the way. So I would argue every point you can this through validation and you validate every step of the way. And, and with that, with what you're looking at is every, every decision point along the way, you should have validation in the market, even including post-market with win-loss analysis. Because to me, win-loss analysis is an incredible risk management tool because it's, it's your ear to the ground and hearing what's going on in real time in the feedback. Anita, Absolutely. I'd love to get your take on this. My answer to the question is everywhere. <laughs> I think that's what Steve is saying too. Yeah. And one thing that, uh, one technique that has worked really well for me in the past, uh, you know, that really identified and managed and mitigated risks after your strategy was, you know, in, in progress, you know, you've got, you, you have the commitments, you have the resources, you have the buy-in. But on a quarterly basis, this doesn't feel really agile, but we were very agile, but on a quarterly basis, development and product and marketing would come together and we called it war room, but I don't think it's the same way that other people call war room process. Mm. Um, we'd come together and, you know, what do we need to get done in the next, in this upcoming quarter? And you, you come with all of your, your risks, um, you know, you might learn in those conversations that development is hiring 20% of the staff is gonna be new, right? Or they're losing people or, or there's some infrastructure things going on that you didn't know about. So I think that was a really good, on a quarterly basis, something very structured that you're talking to everybody as you're executing that strategy. Okay, um, what specifically? And we had extensive spreadsheets. This was a very thorough process, and it was a lot of prep time coming up to that. You know, you had some high-level estimates. So, up to those meetings as well, you're talking to all these people. You're working with the development side. What does this look like for you? What are you dealing with? I want this stuff done from the roadmap. You have all that stuff to deal with. 
oh shoot, we have a problem, right? Yeah. Um, so you're, it was a very, very, and I think my, um, you know, everywhere is the answer. And I think if it's the more structured and the more conversational, I guess, and collaborative that that happens along the way, I think the better, right? It's amazing because everybody comments and I start thinking of new things that I hadn't thought about before. You, you brought back two things for me there. And if I can remember the second one, I'll, I'll be happy. The first one was, I remember when teaching requirements that work, there was the whole concept of judging a initiative or a project or a feature on how big it was, how complex it was in your level of confidence in the ability to complete it. You know, big, you know, six foot deep ditch, six feet wide, a mile long is big. It's not very complex, right? Laser eye surgery is not very big. It doesn't take long, but it's very complex, mm -hmm. right? And then your level of confidence, it gave you what, but that was risk management within the backlog or the, mm -hmm. the, 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 you know, the product management type stuff. The second area was, you know, I'm even thinking about, this is a place where KPIs come in, right? Because KPIs are start starting to give you, here's what we expect to happen. And now let's look above and below and see, see what's not, where we're not, it's, it's that radar, right? That helps you figure it out. I like to look at pipeline metrics to see how things compare to what we're expecting to see where the holes are, because that can also help find stuff out. But by doing that, you're doing risk management in, in a sense, mm -hmm. in helping with that type of stuff. Awesome, guys, this has been a, a fun conversation. Let's get to our lightning round. The question is, what is your best advice on managing risk for somebody new to product strategy? Somebody now has responsibility for product strategy. We've just talked about a whole bunch of things you could be doing to manage risk in product strategy and product management. What's your best advice for managing risk for somebody new to product strategy? Dharma, I'm going to put you on the spot. Yeah, I'm going to answer this and I have to jump. Um, All right. I would say if you can, hire a project manager. They okay. are inherently focused on figuring out what won't work. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I like that. It was not where I thought it would go, but I think it's a really good answer. <laughs> Anita. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dharma. Hi, Dharma. Bye, guys. And that, that's funny because Dharma wasn't on yet when I said we can learn a lot from project management, right? <laughs> In this area. You're yes so, anding him. Yes, and... I think the best advice is, you know, and it ties to everything I've said throughout this call. Um, if you're new to this, you know, learn from those around you, right? Somebody's somebody's doing this work, or you might learn that nobody's doing the work, and you might be able to lead that type of work. So I think for someone that's new to product strategy, find a mentor, learn from whoever's doing this well in the organization, and don't think that you have to do it yourself. I love that, Steve. All right, all yes and uh, you know it's it's a it's a team sport. I think is brilliant. Um, I I agree with Dharma as well in terms of you know project managers always seem to find the dark side of the project, all the things that can go wrong, and I think product managers tend to look at things with happy eyes. Everything's going to go well, right? Um, but I guess my my best advice would be. Managing risk is why we do validation. So we should be constantly validating our, our realities with the market to make sure we're not setting ourselves up for risk of any kind. I, I love that. And I'm gonna yes, and, and, and. And I'm gonna go with a quote 
and I think it's Mark Twain, but it may be somebody else. It ain't what you don't know that gets you in trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so, right? <laughs> Make sure, and it ties to the validation, but you know, and this is not just looking at yourself and holding the mug in your, in your right hand, right? Every left hand, it's, it's, it's also everybody else. Mm -hmm. it, mm -hmm. There's too many, too, too often people think they know everything for sure and it just ain't so. Right. And, you you know, mean like the, the, the value of houses always goes up. Yeah. Except in 2008. Yeah. But that's, a, that's my first thing. You don't know everything. And some of the things you think you know aren't true. So mm -hmm. engage with the market, get data, get market data, and, and make decisions based on that. So well done. All right, guys, thank you so much. Uh, again, every week, it's a great conversation. Every week, uh, I learn something. Uh, it, it expands my knowledge in my thought process. Monday, uh, it goes in the community, our question of the week. Wednesday, we have the poll. Friday, we have these wonderful calls. Anita, Steve, thank you so much for being here and being part of this every week. Anita, have a wonderful trip. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you guys next week in the community and on the call. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Product Growth Leaders Topic of the Week. If you haven't yet, go to your Apple, Android, or favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next week for another episode. For more great content and to participate in the Topic of the Week conversations, go to community.productgrowthleaders.com and join the conversation.